0: Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of M Collective. This interview is with Ali Lieber, who works at Google Earth Outreach, which is a team that uses those 360 Google cameras to travel around the world, helping nonprofits use Google Earth to do pretty incredible things. So she's been to places like Tanzania, where she's filmed chimpanzees, as well as the Galapagos, where she's gone diving with the camera. In this interview, we talk about how she got this incredible job and what her experience has been like so far, traveling to some of the most unique places on Earth what it was like when she decided to divert from the life path that had pretty much been laid out for her since birth, and how a lesson from summer camp taught her how important it is to recognize fear and move through it instead of letting it stop you or push you back. As I kind of make M Collective and develop it, I'm trying to figure out what the best format is. This interview is about an hour, so let me know uh, how that goes for you. But also, I'm trying to model it, at least for now, off of some of my favorite podcasts. And one of the ones I love is Mark Maron. And one of the reasons I love it is because you really get to know Mark, and so I figure if that's what I like, I owe it to you to let you know me a little bit. I just got back from a 13-month trip where I drove from New York City to Argentina, and I filmed a TV show about it, and hopefully we'll be selling that to a network in the next few days. The trip was a lot more than I could have expected it to be, and I ultimately ended up learning A lot about myself and how I want to be in the world. The interesting thing is that most of the things that I've learned are really cliché. Things like you have to be kind, that it's important to help strangers, that you need to kind of check yourself when you're very confident about something and you don't know exactly why. Because I've learned that I can be wrong all the time. Um, I've also learned to be way more patient, you know, patient with other people, patient with myself, patient with the development of projects and events. Um, and as the trip was coming to a close and it was almost time for me to come back to New York, I started getting very nervous that I was going to lose these qualities, although they are small. Things like, am I going to be patient? Am I going to be willing to help a stranger go out of my way to make someone else's day brighter? Um, Will I be kind to strangers, people close to me, or myself? New York is kind of the antithesis of a lot of these things I've learned. You know, being kind to strangers is not the reputation that New York has, helping people, being patient. These are absolutely opposite of what New York is like. So when I throw myself back into that pit, when I start working a more regular job again, when I start passing thousands and thousands of strangers, both New Yorkers and tourists alike, will I be able to maintain this positive outlook I don't know I mean I could get swept up into the the speed of things, the intensity of things get caught in that fight for survival attitude that New Yorkers pride themselves on but which I think is honestly very misguided Um, that's kind of where I've been bred at least in my professional and adult life so we'll see Um, New York I guess I'll meet you again soon I'm going to wrap up soon, but I've gotten this question a lot, which is like, how is it being back and how am I adjusting? Well, first of all, the biggest difference about being back is that every time I throw toilet paper in the toilet, I hesitate. (laughs) Because in most places in the world, you cannot throw toilet paper in the toilet. You have to throw it in a garbage, or if you're outside, you dig a hole and put it in there or even burn it with a lighter. So um, the luxury of being able to throw toilet paper in a toilet is something that I'm still not used to but very appreciative of. The other thing is, you know, how am I adjusting back to life in New York? Ultimately, I think it's kind of less about adjusting who I am or where I am and more about understanding how I can move myself through these familiar spaces that I've known my whole life in a new way. Like there's some quote, I forget by who, about how, you know, after a journey, you come back to see your home with new eyes. So something, something along those lines where, you know, I don't necessarily want to change I have changed I am a new person I'll continue to develop and grow but I will need to see how I can see my home my family my friends my city in a new way and 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 approach everything I do with these new attitudes that I've developed so we'll see Uh, I guess in a month from now I will tell you how that's going In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this interview with Allie, and if you have any thoughts or comments, let me know what you think. That's a
1: very nice intro. It's going great, thank you. I'm here at the Googleplex in Mountain View, California, and uh, it's 6 p.m., and it's just about dinner for me, but uh, <laughs> you seem to be past that point. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, we were just talking about how I'm sitting here in, in New York with a glass of wine, and Allie's in the office. But apparently, they have some wine in the office, so Allie could sneak some. But I
1: could oh well, next time. Anyway,
0: um, so Allie, I want to hear. I want to kind of talk all about your story, and there's a whole bunch of things that are really interesting and fascinating that we should hit on, but can you talk a little bit about, first of all, what your role is now? So I I said Google Earth Outreach, you've been to Tanzania, you've been to the Galapagos Islands. What exactly do you do?
1: (laughs) That's the million dollar question, isn't (laughs) it? Um, I am on a small team called Google Earth Outreach, as you mentioned, and we are part of the geo-org here at Google, so part of the Google Maps and Earth uh, organization. And we work with nonprofits and researchers and indigenous tribes, helping them use any kind of digital uh, mapping software, which um, is more than earth and maps. Like uh, you might know it for looking at directions or looking at your backyard from space. It can actually be used to help visualize land change, deforestation, wars, landmine removal. Um, and now we're actually working on how to use it to monitor malaria uh, malaria outbreaks all around the world. So I'm very excited about that project, but it takes me all around the world um, trying to map out new areas, either through street view or uh, leading workshops for different communities, um, usually indigenous groups or other mappers around the world, just teaching them what what it is um, that Google has to offer them.
0: Awesome. So there's a you are using Google Maps to track landmines, to eradicate malaria, to tra- to to film chimpanzee habitats. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty much. And I have to say though, all those projects are in partnership with nonprofits and indigenous tribes. So it's all of those kinds of groups that are spearheading, they're the scientists, they're the program managers on the ground working with the local communities. We are just so lucky to be able to be a part of it and hope that um, the tools that we have make it easier for them to do this amazing work.
0: So what are you doing with them?
1: Um, so bringing the, bringing the tools and the technology into their, into their programs basically. So um, the landmine example, that's uh, the Halo Trust. And they use Google Earth to plot out where there have been landmines left over from civil wars in, in the area. So in Angola, um, different all over Africa, and all over Southeast Asia. I don't remember exactly where, but the, <laughs> the, the example that we um, helped with was in Angola, where they um, had all the mines, and you can see where there's just complete desolation, there's just nothing there where there's the landmine. People, of course, understandably are afraid of losing a limb from walking on the wrong foot, uh, you know, on the ground there. And um, and so you can see when they go in, they bring, you know, Google Earth on a tablet or they have these maps that they go right, uh, right to the place where they know their landmines, take them out, and then you see after their project is done that land is now used to... Uh, for development, for new homes, for schools. People can cross through it to get to school or to their job, and it just really changes the lives of that community, and it's something that we would never, ever have to think about, you know, knock on wood.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. And that's really an amazing program, and you don't expect something like that from Google. I mean, maybe you do, um, but that's a pretty unique area of Google and you're working uh, with that most people probably never heard of. You know, when people think of Google Earth and Google Maps, they think of the car driving by their street, you know, when you're (laughs) hanging out on the street corner. And uh, some funny pictures. But (laughs) the power of of what you're doing is really neat. Yeah. Um,
1: So we took Street View to Gombe National Park, which is a forest in Tanzania on the western side of uh, Tanzania. And that's where Dr. Jane Goodall did her chimp observations um, and research in the 1960s. The research and we brought the Street View Trucker, which is basically, as you said, from the Street View car. You see that, that uh, big camera on top of those cars. Well, uh, there's a team here that took that camera and put it onto a backpack so it can go where cars can't. And we took that to Gombe National Park in collaboration with the Jane Goodall Institute uh, where they're still doing research to this day. It's the longest running uh, animal observation mission in existence, and mm-hmm. so we've also uh, used the checker to follow around the chimpanzees uh, for a few days, and we have some great footage of them, of them running through uh, little creek areas, ravines, and climbing up trees, and if there's some places where you can just like look up in the street view and there's a there's a chimp there. Wow, um, it's a lot of fun and it's not just for fun too. It's so that people can be aware that Gombe exists and that their work exists, the Jane Goodall's work exists.
0: Yeah, so is there, and this might be a tough question, but is there like, is there one thing that you've kind of taken away from that experience or one thing that you really learned that has kind of changed things since?
1: That's a good question. Um, Really, more than anything, more than the environment and the spectacular views and the amazing freshwater Lake Tanganyika, it was really, besides for it being just a glorious experience, it was also really informative about the way that people live in these areas. Um, And and really, if I want to continue working in this kind of do-good-for-the-world space, then I really need to understand what it is that we're up against. But yeah, it really also pushed me to my limit, too, being there. Um, Because it was just so different. There was hardly any running water. There was none in Jane's house. Um, So you had to go into the outhouse, and there were all these snakes. There's poisonous snakes.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: killer bees, (laughs) and baboons just walking down the trail that you're walking on. They're just lounging on the beach. (laughs) Baboons are
0: pretty aggressive, right?
1: Yeah, baboons are pretty aggressive. So the trick is to not look them in the eye, to look away. Pretend you're not really interested in them. And then Mm. sometimes they get interested in what you pretend to be interested in. But, yeah, yeah. Looking them in the eyes is a form of aggression, so you try to just go about your merry way as you pass a baboon on the path. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really just living out in the wild, something I I've never experienced before. Yeah, it was it, so cool.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. When <laughs> when we were out on the Mongol Rally, we were I mean we had a car, but it was I mean we were driving through these countries, and there was times where it was like seven or eight days without sleeping in a home, no showers, like, I kind of know what you mean, but I can't imagine first of all, being afraid of poisonous snakes and killer bees, Um, but seeing baboons, it's funny, like, you said you have to kind of look at something and pretend you're interested in that, and then they'll look, it's like, I mean, that's what... We do that too, right? You know, humans, where it's like someone's looking at yeah. something and they could be looking at absolutely nothing and everyone else stops and just kind of looks up. And be like, hmm, what's that? <laughs> yeah. you, Have you, you could tried totally, that? <laughs> no, but maybe I'll do it tomorrow. You could do that in New York City. Just be like, whoa, what's that? And everyone would stop at, and everyone like, will stop I probably and shouldn't do that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, my God, you should totally do that. You should totally do that. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. Awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: So the, the million-dollar question then is, how the heck do you get this job? What 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 does it take to to get um, this Google Earth outreach team where you can save the world and see it at the same time?
1: Well, I started out in advertising. I worked on AdWords at Google, um, and that's a fun story too. But I started at uh, AdWords.
0: Oh, and that's, that's- Let's go there and let's kind of build it up. Like how, okay. So how did you get that job at, at Google at all? Because being at Google at all is an impressive feat on its own, uh, let alone getting on this team of people who gets to travel the world. So kind of how did you take that first jump?
1: So how did I get to Google in the first place?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I was at Washoe, Washington University in St. Louis.
0: Go Bears!
1: Go Bears! <laughs> Do we even have a mascot or a sports team? I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I was taking improv lessons today, and my coach is. <laughs> I said, "This is the second time I've said said Go Bears' today." <laughs> so coach went to wash you, and I was like, "Go Bears!" And he was like, "What are you talking about? What was that?" Exactly. Was that? Oh, our- it
1: was definitely know. not a raw, raw college. It was let's <laughs> stay up all night and talk about our existential crises and <laughs> what what identity means. Oh yeah. uh, But yeah, so I studied psychology and economics. Um, I had started out thinking I would be pre-med and become a doctor, but that didn't pan out as well as I thought. Mm. So yeah,
0: a lot of people go to WashU to be doctors. They they want to be a doctor. You went as well. So what was what was it like when you realized that you didn't want to be a doctor?
1: Oh, and I realized I did not want to be a doctor. At first, it was kind of denial because, you know, was it that I I didn't want to? I didn't have that... I didn't know how to recognize in myself um, at that point in my life um, if it was that I didn't want to or that I was scared or that I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that voice that was just telling me that, no, you don't want to do that because that was the only option I really knew of. So it must be that, you know, maybe I wasn't good enough for it or maybe I wasn't smart enough to. um, And so all of those thoughts, you know, I I couldn't tease it apart. So for a really long time, but I, I had this feeling in my gut that I just didn't want to do it. So for the longest time, I just kind of felt like I wasn't doing it because I wasn't enough and that um, I would maybe regret it one day because I didn't know what else I wanted to be.
0: I, when you were talking about that, I, got, I still feel kind of this pit in my chest right now, like that yeah. feeling of when you, when you decide not to do something, you don't know why am I not doing this. Is it because I don't think I can do it? Do right. I not believe in myself? Is it because it's not right I actually shouldn't be doing this? Right. Um.
1: Uh, I have a diary from this time, and it's so interesting to look back over. So I was asking myself questions that, like, I thought I would never be able to answer, and now I can. Um, like what? Um, just, like, like, will, will I ever find anything that, like, gets me? Because I was so worried. I think I, the page was about, like, Was I, um, like, what was I going to do with my life? That was a recurring question always. Like, what was I going to do? Like, I wasn't like most of the college people who could just, like, go out to a party and just have fun. Like, I was constantly thinking what I was going to do with my life. And I was like, am I ever going to be able to just, like, know that I can do this? Like, because I knew that, yes, I would be fine, but I couldn't actually understand that. Like, I knew that, of of course, I wasn't going to, I was going to find something, but um, I would just ask questions like, am I ever going to know that I'm going to be okay? I don't know. Does this apply to people? <laughs> like, will people be able to relate?
0: What you're saying, when you said that you weren't like other college kids who could just go out and have fun, like, no, you were like every college kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, every college kid is dealing with these issues, and people out of college are still dealing with these issues, and that's like, why this exists, is to, like, help people get through that. But everyone wants to know what they're going to do with their life. No one wants to, like, settle for something that they don't love and they're not passionate about, but it's not easy to find that. Yeah. Um, And seeing you kind of, like, beam through, like, when you were just talking, you could see, like, the fear and the challenges that you were kind of dealing with years ago.
1: Gosh, I could not picture for the life of me what I was going to do. I was, you know, just this. 18-year-old or 19-year-old and had the whole world ahead of me, but terrified to enter into the world because I didn't know what I was going to do there. Um, and and this image that I had, uh, I, I think a lot in images, I'm sure a lot of people do, but I, I remember the images better than anything, like the little metaphors that I make up for things. So you picture like this block of wood. <laughs> <laughs> and you have like your your parents and your grandparents and your family and your friends and your network essentially um, kind of chipping away at this block of wood and so the path of least resistance is to just follow in someone's path right because it's already set out for you and you could just follow along and not have to chip away as hard. Um, you know maybe where there's scraps or like you know places that have caved in or whatever you just kind of dig away at it but You're more or less following in this path that's set out. And I would get sick to my stomach just feeling like that's what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life, just following in someone's path through this block of chips, a block of wood, and then Hmm. I get to the end, and then it's like, well, you just kind of fall off the end of that block of wood, and that was that. There was your life, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So sort of depressing, but... You know, it was also empowering because I knew that's not what I wanted to do. I knew I was going to have to pick up a, a axe or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> pick up something and start forging my own trail. And it was like, gosh, it was, it was wood. So it was still opaque. It was You couldn't see through it. You couldn't see where I was going to go or what I was going to do. But I was going to try. And I was going to try to right away, yeah. fight at it, and get to my own, my own path.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. That, that feeling of kind of having a completely blank slate in front of you is terrifying. It is so scary, I had a similar experience, mm-hmm. I didn't, I was never pre-med, but I was in the business school, mm-hmm. and halfway through my sophomore year, I had this crazy existential crisis where I was like, <laughs> I, I can't do business, I'm gonna, you know. I'm gonna go do the Peace Corps in Tanzania or something. And I, I quit the B school and I the next semester I took like a class on Chinese history, on I took a grad school class on it's called Death and Dying in Tibetan Buddhism. Wow. I took I had to take an accounting class because I just had, I, there was something that forced me to do it. And I took like I think I took public health that semester, just completely yeah. random. Right, right. Because I had no, I made this decision that I wasn't doing business, but I didn't know what I was going into. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's why we're friends.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that was a really rough time for me. That was an incredibly terrifying time. I felt like a failure. I was scared, shitless, of what my life was going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you kind of, you just have to, I don't know, I started moving and doing things, and ultimately I ended up in business anyway when I graduated, (laughs) like the most businessy job possible. Funny the way the world works. Yeah. Um, yeah. more, but you kind of yeah. effect, you find your way, you, you explore, you start chipping away, right? You have that block yeah. like you said, and mm-hmm. as you start chipping and chipping, yeah start starts becoming clearer, even if you don't know exactly what it is, and you can yeah. you get more confidence to
1: I took a lift over here this morning. And it was kind of a a kooky lift driver. She was awesome though. Um, but I was like, oh, I haven't had my coffee yet. Like, I don't know if I can speak to you. <laughs> and and I was, so towards the end of the thing, I was like, gosh, I'm sorry. I've been really quiet, you know, because you know, you're in someone else's car. I know, you, I know they say you don't have to talk, but I always feel kind of weird if I don't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, gosh, I'm sorry I wasn't being super talkative. I'm just on my way to an, to an interview, and I'm just kind of trying to, you know, get my energy up. And she's like, and she's like, "Oh, and she took it as a job interview, which is totally valid." And I was like, "Oh no, it wasn't. It's not for a job. It's just about my life. I don't know." <laughs> and she was like, "Okay, well, you do you want to talk it out." I'm like, "Oh, no, I'm sure. it will just be natural It's fine." And she's like, and she's like, "Okay." And she pulled down this like whiteboard that she had in her visor. She's like, "People last minute were writing all over it, and one of the questions was like, what would you do if you didn't have any fear?" And I was like, oh, that's so funny. One of the questions is about fear. And she's like, you know, if you were an AA, you'd be able to answer that question in a heartbeat. (laughs) I'm like, really? So, like, what do people answer normally? And she was like, you learn how to use fear as a tool. And I was like, wow, maybe I should go to AA. That's really insightful because that's really, it really resonated with me, actually. And it's just so funny that I had this Lyft Drive, this random lift driver, who gave me this like insightful piece this morning. Um, it's just funny how things work out like that. But uh, it really resonated with me because I feel like fear was a driver for me to keep pushing. So I didn't have to live in fear. I was just using it as kind of fuel to, as a, as a tool to, like, Okay, let me back up. So it was like, if I were to look around my life and find the areas that I had fear about, those were kind of the areas I wanted to work on. Those were the ones that I went towards instead of, like, turn my back on. Huh.
0: Um, Why do you think you did that?
1: Because it was scarier to me to be living my life in fear than just dealing with it. Um... Yeah, and I don't know why I like to do that. It might be—I don't know. I was a very impressionable little girl, <laughs> and um, I went to this summer camp every year. It was a Jew camp, Jew summer camp, but it wasn't really all that. It wasn't. We had to say some prayers, but it wasn't necessarily religious. It was more spiritual. I think it was more, it was kind of like Buddhist, almost. Um, it was pretty hippie kind of thing. And um, one, of, they were always just talking about, like, get out of your comfort zone, you know? And there were a few times that I remember like being at camp where I just couldn't do it. Because I was a really big scaredy cat. I was a really big scaredy cat. And I was also so painfully shy that you couldn't, like, I wouldn't say a word um, when I was little, and I just remember one time at camp, they had me, like, climb up this, like, I don't know, 30-foot log or something. Yeah, I was tied into ropes and everything, and you had to jump from this log and hit this bell, and then you fall, but the rope catches you, and you're totally fine. Mm -hmm. I got up to the top of that, and I absolutely, I just didn't jump, just did not jump. Just didn't jump. Just flat out didn't jump. I had to crawl, I had to climb down backwards. I just, oh,
0: you, you never jumped.
1: <laughs> never jumped. Never jumped. And that was kind of like, why didn't I jump? You know, like, why did I let the fear just stop me? Just stop me and make me go backwards. Like, nothing was going to happen. Nothing was going to happen at all. Okay, maybe I would miss the bell and I'd just fall. Okay. Then I was on the rope and I end up in the same place that I did if I hit the bell. You know, like, whatever. And that was... And I still remember that. I must have been, like, 11 years old and I still remember not being able to hit, not being able to jump off that thing. And I think that's been a big motivator to just, like, just go for it. And now I've, like, jumped out of planes (laughs) and um, I've climbed I've been, I've landed in the, uh, most dangerous airport in Nepal, in the world, which is in, uh, the Kumba region, when, on the way up to Mount Everest. Um, I've lived in the jungle in Tanzania, and, you know, it's all started from this girl who couldn't even jump off of a log tied to a rope with, like, people, like, three people holding the rope, like. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um,
0: that story just, like, it literally, like, I, like, was swelled up inside. I was, like, wow, that is so amazing. Is that meta- the metaphor of your experience that has driven you is, like, so, it's, like, it's like beautiful in, in how it explains, like, like, how fear affects you and, and stops right. you from doing things, like, you want to do. Wow. I'm, like, really moved by that.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm really, really moved by it. And
1: it's funny because I honestly don't know if I've, Ever even mentioned that story? Not that I like haven't wanted to tell anyone, but it's something that I think about. But I don't know if I've ever actually said it to anyone, like told anyone.
0: Yeah. Wow. So just to bring it back a little bit, how did you get started at Google?
1: Uh, Yeah. So uh, in my sorority at WashU, there was a girl who was two years older than me who had graduated already. I was a senior, and she was working at Google. Um, I don't know how she got into that role, but she was there. And um, Google has a really nice referral bonus. So she was brilliant. She's now at business school, which is great. She's brilliant for that. She has that kind of mind. And uh, she sent out a mass email to all the seniors she knew saying, Hey, my team at Google is hiring like crazy. Send me a resume, and I'm happy to forward it. and so I think 50 people probably emailed her with their resumes. And everyone in the <laughs> Pretty much everyone uh, just emailed their resumes. And I was, you know, grappling with it. Do I really want to send my resume? I mean, I, I am looking at these hospitals and looking at strategic planning at these hospitals and where they could set up their clinics. And that sounds really interesting to me. Do I really want to go into advertising? But... Uh, But this job offer, or not offer at the time, but this application was for the job in San Francisco. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just apply, see what happens, I don't have to be there forever, I just have to go and then I'll get my roots in San Francisco and I can jump off from there and go into public health in San Francisco. Great, if it worked out, who knows. (laughs) Um, And then I sent my resume, didn't hear anything for a week and a half, and then I went to South by Southwest uh, in Austin, Texas for spring break and on my, as we were like leaving I got an email from Google saying, hey can you chat this weekend or maybe tomorrow or like really soon after I got this email, saying hey can you do like a phone interview and that interview went well and I got on the Google AdWords team so, I was actually assigned to the accounts that weren't so happy with the results that they were getting. So, my job was to go in and show them how they can make it better and help them build their accounts to be better. Um, and so, I did that. And so I was tethered to a phone all day, every day, and realized very quickly that that was not going to be motivating for that long. Yes, I'm a, a you know, if you put metrics in front of me, I'm going to try to get that, you know, whatever the equivalent of an A is just because I'm wired like that, you know. <laughs> um, but eventually it was just I'm I'm not made for that kind of work. And so I kind of, I sat there and I was like, you know, trying to have a positive attitude because, you know, gosh, I'm at Google. What's wrong with me? <laughs> why why am I not loving every minute of it? And I was like, okay, so um, I started thinking about, like, career development, and I actually taught career development little classes. What was that about? Just, I made up my own curriculum, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I broke it up into different, like, segments, and one was, like, looking at your current job and so i i i mean i set this up based on what i was doing even though i hadn't gotten my new job yet <laughs> or anything it was i don't know i was just needed to do something else um in my you know there you're allowed to do 20% projects it's really 140 150% projects not your 20% but it's okay um, um so basically i just sat there and i asked myself what there's gotta be something that I like about my job. What, motivate, vo- what motivated me about it? Like, I really had to dig deep about what was gonna keep me going. Um, because, you know, your career and life is uh, a marathon, not a race. So, like, what was gonna get me through this? And so, um, I, I realized that I really liked working with people that I respected. That like my coworkers were really important. Who I was surrounding myself with, who my manager was, Um, you know, I needed to respect all of them and think that they were all good people. You know, that I could that they were trustworthy and good people, and you could have fun with them too because you see them more than you see anybody else, and so that was really important. And then also, I really liked uh, speaking with people over the phone and helping them. I liked. Being able to to hang up the phone and know that I taught someone something and really enjoyed that feeling. And I think there was a few other things that I liked, but those were the two that really stuck out to me that I was like, no matter what I do in another job, wherever it was, I need to know, you know that I like, you know, connecting with the connecting with people marketing jobs and other jobs that other people on the team are interested in, like a more a a logical next step to be on an advertising team, um, I was not interested in. So there was this one series that a more official Google career development um, team had put together, um, had people from around Google come in and have ten on one lunches with people on our team or whoever was interested. And everyone signed up for the marketing person who was coming to talk, but um, as I said, I, I wasn't interested in that stuff. Um, it seemed pretty cool, but you know, I was really interested in this other one that caught my eye, which was this weird, funky Earth Outreach one <laughs> that i never heard of. This team, or you know, I wasn't even particularly environmentally focused myself, but you know, why not? It sounded a lot more interesting than the other options, so I went.
0: Did that. was that tough to get? Was like everyone signing up for that?
1: No, <laughs> they were all signing up for the marketing. There was, I think, there was like ten people allowed in the room, and I don't even think we filled up that. Um, wow. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So someone was going to give a talk about this team you were on, about this incredible job where you travel the world and save it at the same time, <laughs> and it didn't even fill up was ten-person room. <laughs>
1: That's nope. crazy. Yep, you that's what I was saying. That. Where it's really, it proved really important to me to, to, you know, when these opportunities presented themselves, and I'm sure lots of others, have been presented to me, but, you know, I probably didn't see them. But I saw this one, um, and so I went. I took the time away from my phone, even though that was like, oh my God, I'm, I should be making calls at all times and hitting my quotas and whatever. Uh, but I was like, nope. I'm just going to go. So I went and um, it I got goosebumps just listening to her talk. I got noticeable, visible goosebumps um, about the work that they do. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just got this feeling that I was in the right place. Um, kind of the same thing that I got when I was in San Francisco. I kind of have learned to listen to that feeling because it's never done anything it's only done good for me to listen to that oh my gosh I'm in the right place at the right time feeling and so afterwards I stayed around and I talked to her and I was saw immediate health applications of the mapping so epidemiology is mapping essentially (laughs) you know like
0: mapping of what?
1: uh, mapping of diseases and so like, John Snow, who was the father of epidemiology, he he mapped out cholera outbreaks using a map and traced cholera down to, like, this one faucet, you know, and that was done through mapping and an investigation. And um, So I saw immediate health application where I would talk to her after about, and also they were using some mobile data collection technologies, um, and I was thinking about all the health services that, they, that people could do in the field looking at, where there's malaria net coverage, where someone has the flu, or where um, a a baby was just born, you know, you can do all that from in the field um, that might not have as great health infrastructure to report this, but you can report, you can uh, gather this data from a form that you put on a mobile phone and then collect it into a map. And so I was thinking that would be an amazing application for, the health would be an amazing application of this tool. And so I spoke to her after, you know, not for a second thinking that I would be the one who got to do that, (laughs) you know, um, but just hoping that Google was thinking about it and that could one day do it. And um, I'm doing it now, by the way, but to get there, um, to get there, I, you know, I just started doing some menial things, helping with the team. Uh, processing a few grants here and there, working on their YouTube page, you know. um, Nothing crazy, just trying to help them out where and when I could, but they were traveling so much that it was hard to keep in touch. And so, I didn't really hear from them for a while, but then the girl who gave the talk uh, reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in applying for a new role that we have on the team? I was like, Really? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I applied for the role. Then I had an interview with every single person on the five-person team, because um, you know they're a really tight-knit team, and, and anyone that they ha- bring in has to be has to pass the "I want to go camping with them" test. <laughs> yeah, it's an important it's, test. It's, it's our it's our test. Yeah. Wow. And then I got to speak with Rebecca, my manager, and we just really, really clicked uh, in, in the interview and um, you know, I'm sure that program managers, high level program managers even were applying for this role and you know, I knew I was up against some stiff competition but again, um, like I always do, I kind of had a backup for myself. I was going to go back to school and become a genetic counselor so I was able to have this confidence about myself and I just was really genuine and really, really clicked with the manager. And she finally decided that, you know, even though there are other more qualified people, I want to take a chance on Allie because I, I want to work with her. I think good things will happen. And so now she's my manager, and it's been amazing. I've learned so, so much. And I remember I hadn't heard back for a really long time, and it was... Uh, this one Thursday night sometime in winter of 2012 and I had I talked to everyone on in my family over the phone saying you know I'm going to quit my job I'm going to go back I'm going to become a genetic counselor and and will you support me like am I totally lame for leaving Google (laughs) like like am I gonna be on the streets and I talked to everyone, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, finally hung up with all of them at 11.30 p.m. that night. Passed out because I was just so exhausted and emotionally drained. And then stayed home from work. Uh, just worked from home that, that Friday, the day after. And I was just minding my own business and then I got a chat from Rebecca, my boss, my now boss, saying, hey, you around? You want to come come to my office? I was like, oh, my God. The oh, one time, <laughs> the one time ever I decided to work from home. Ugh. So I told her, no, I'm working from home, but I'm happy to give you a call. Or I gave her my number, and she gave me a call and said, Allie, are you ready for an adventure? And I was, I just started yelping. I was like, yes, yes! <laughs> Like, ecstatic. It's like, have you ever seen, it's an old reference, but have you seen that YouTube video of the guy who sees double rainbows? <laughs> and yeah. he was just like, ah! like what's that? Yeah, I just, oh I my god, that. the
0: double rainbow. You
1: were and that person? Yeah, that, that guy. Yeah. And then I called up my family. I was like, change of plans, guys. <laughs> um, and I have not looked back. And yeah, it's been it's been amazing.
0: Awesome, awesome. So first of all, um, you said that you weren't the most qualified person applying for the job. Um, did you did you know that going in?
1: Um, I had assumed it for sure. Um, you had
0: non, no program management experience.
1: <laughs> nope,
0: zero. I think that's important to kind of just like talk about because a lot of people, every there's so many jobs out there and when people are making these posts about what they're looking for, they're always going to put the highest qualifications possible because they want those people applying. But what, what it comes down to ultimately, yeah, you want someone with experience, but that camping test that you talked about, at when I was a consultant it was the airplane test you know if you were stuck or at the airport test if you were stuck in an airport with someone and you were snowed in for you know eight hours or a day would you be would you go insane being with that person or would you be mm-hmm. happy to be stuck with that person?
1: Yeah very similar. Yeah yeah,
0: yeah same idea and that, that's super important and so realizing that even if you're not technically qualified for a job there are a whole bunch of other things that they may be looking for that may make you more qualified than people who have the experience that's you know, listed out on the on the job posting or whatever it is, however you found about the job, it's not only about you know the, the checking the boxes of what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, it's never it's never that. Um, well, I I can't speak to general stuff, but what happened to me is that yeah, my resume checked out enough, um, you know, of the qualifications that they were hoping or the, the skills. That they were hoping that someone in this job would have but beyond that, you know once you make it past that phase it's it's kind of up to who I was um, and if I was someone that they wanted to work with. Um, so um,
0: the other things that you mentioned kind of about getting getting this job or the other big thing that I, I kind of see is that first of all, you said you were just helping with the little administrative tasks helping them, process grants, little things that are pretty tedious, not enjoyable at all, but you were just doing that on, you know, in your free time to, to just support them just because you liked what they were doing so much. Um, mm-hmm. Not expecting anything in return, you know, they weren't offering you a job, they weren't even telling you a job opening was available for anyone.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to play a little part in the coolness of what they were doing.
0: Yeah, and that was kind of shown also through what you said which is that you kind of saw what they were doing and noticed that there was all these other applications for public health that they could be using it for. So you also showed that you were kind of, you were not just seeing what they were doing and in I want this. you could be doing more and kind of show that you were thinking bigger and that there was something you could add to the team that they didn't have, you know, a fresh perspective that wasn't there already.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So you mentioned that you had another option Opportunity when you kind of were thinking when you were interviewing for this job. I saw you in San Francisco I think it was four outside lands a few years ago, and you said you were studying to be a genetic counselor <laughs> Like how what did your life look like and kind of how did you how did you decide not to do?
1: Yeah genetic well, um, So I was while I was on the ads team. I was taking classes at Berkeley um, in genetics And so at the same time that my quotas were due at work, I had midterms and finals in in genetics, and I um, would leave work, go to a three-hour, once-a-week class at Berkeley. So I was just doing a whole bunch of stuff, trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do, and I really got passionate about uh, genetic counseling because uh, I actually had to go see a genetic counselor. And uh, while I was there, there was this kind of intern that was doing the work and you know the the qualified certified person was also in the room but it was being led by this person in training and she was very sweet but i was i was thinking gosh i could i could do a better job at this oh gosh i really should i should do this job like this you know and all of a sudden it kind of clicked like i got to have a lot of personal interaction i got to stay close to like cutting edge of science, um, I got to have like clients and work in like a really just cool up and coming field, and that was appealing to me. So I decided to explore it, I and I and I did that, um, but but I just kind of figured that the field would be around um, when I was ready to do it because you know, when the options, when my options were stay at ads or go somewhere else, I wanted that somewhere else to be the genetic counseling, but then when it was stay in ads, go back to school, or take this really awesome job, <laughs> you know, it changes. You know, mm-hmm. I can only make decisions about what's, with my options that are in front of me at that time. So, those were my options, and when this third thing came on the table, it was like, well, the other two will still be there, but this opportunity is not going to be there, so I'm going to jump on it and just go run with it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm, so I still uh, might
1: become a genetic counselor hmm. one day, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. So it differed, because in a way, it was it's kind of like when you... When you decided not to be a doctor, but in this case, you knew the options. You chose an option as opposed to just leaving another. Yeah. Besides just dropping out of something, you chose you chose options, mm-hmm. and also you. It seems like you had a confidence and a comfort in knowing that okay, I'm going to go after this this life in Google Earth, and if that doesn't work out, I've still I still have this other option. So there was a kind of that safety net there, which makes that decision much less. A lot. There's a lot less pressure to it.
1: Yeah, it didn't feel like I was running from anything. You know, when I was turning down, being in the pre-med program, like that felt like I was just running from it because I wasn't running towards something else. But now it didn't feel like I was running from anything. I was just running and this pulled me and that's where I was going to go for the next while. Um, cool. Yeah. So...
0: So now, looking forward, you say you might be a genetic counselor. Like, what's what's the future hold for Allie?
1: No idea.
0: <laughs> do you have a? Do you have a
1: plan? I have no idea, no but idea. I'm I'm not as scared about it as I once was. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing, and for the first time, I don't really have a five-year plan. I don't even have a six-month plan. You know. We'll see. we'll see what happens. I just feel free in my own mind to let myself not know the future and just kind of live in the moment and make my future as, as I go, if that makes sense.
0: I'm curious, and you know, I don't know if, you, if you've thought about this, but it's I'm seeing kind of two alleys. It's like the alley dropping out of pre-med, feeling kind of like you're failing, not really knowing what's going on and kind of jumping to this abyss, and alley who... Now you still don't know exactly where you're going, but you you seem very much at peace uh, and and confident and comfortable with where you are. You know, what do you think changed? You know, how are these two alleys different? Besides, you know, now you have these kind of options. How mm-hmm. do you deal with fear differently? How do you deal with decision making? You know, what's 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 new?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a lot of it's experience. It's being out in the world and. it's testing myself and pushing myself to the limit to see that, yes, I can do it, you know, Um, and knowing that and having a real true confidence that, yes, I can do it, then it, it doesn't, I'm not as scared and, you know, I don't let fear rule me, you know, it doesn't, it, you know, if I do feel nervous about something like for example today I had to give a big presentation at a conference um, and yes I was really nervous from it but then I was like gosh this is good nervous energy I'm going to like lean into it and and you know just learn from it and I think every experience is something that I've learned from and um, yeah I just remember asking myself all these kinds of questions like am I ever gonna get anywhere you know, just I, those questions would come from a place of really just not knowing, you know, not having had that experience of having to figure it out on my own and just being worried about the future and what would happen when I did have to be on my own and figure things out. And now I feel like I've done that and I have a lot more to learn. Don't get me wrong. We all do. I have a lot more to learn. But now I, I know I can do it. Um and so I kind of look back at those questions that I asked myself about am I ever going to get anywhere and now I'm just like yes <laughs> <laughs> yes I am and I I feel free about it and great
0: Yeah you know I'm kind of I've never thought about that that wood block metaphor before um but it's coming back up now for me you know I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. about it now and it's like without exp- i guess the, the, the acts that you had is is experience you know when you first yeah. when you left that pre-med opportunity you had you've never done anything like that before you know you grew up and life was kind of planned for you and you mm-hmm. just followed the rules and followed what people told you and that worked out and then it stopped working out for you you, you realize mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't what i want this isn't what or you know this isn't what i can do right now mm-hmm. so you you moved away and then all of a sudden you have this this thing in front of you this block of wood that you have to do something with and now through experience yeah. you've kind of been building on that and mm-hmm. you know, there's always more to do. But
1: And it's also perspective too because when you have more, when I get more experience, and I get a different perspective on things. You know, like it, it doesn't seem as big and scary and the world isn't as big and scary of a place because um, before I was just looking at it you know the world, the the block was right in front of me, but now I've started to tease it apart, and there's like some openings and some clearings, and you know um, I'm sure over years I'm going to get even more perspective and be like, oh, I was so silly back then, but you know I, it's you're just you're growing, and what pushes me forward through like speaking presentations and. Traveling and doing all these things that have so much unknown, especially in building out this new program that I'm trying to do. Where I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. No one knows what they're doing when you're making something that's never been done. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just do it, and I do it because I'm so passionate about what it could be. And so even if I'm scared, I'm just like driving right past that because because it's not about me. It's about the work and what it could be. And I'm just kind of the, the vehicle for it at this time. But, you know, it's, it's not about me. Huh. Um,
0: you know, yeah. That's, um, you know who you just, I just read something recently. Do you know Humans of New York?
1: Mm-hmm, I've, he- I've heard of it, yeah.
0: Okay, he just, he just interviewed Obama. And Obama said something very similar. That. He did something very similar. Where he said like <laughs> he was like, you know he was 40 years old and he had just run this huge campaign and he lost and he like, really felt like giving up and, but he kept going obviously. You no. Know. Uh, and he said you know, the only way that he was able to do that was to make it not about him. The failure wasn't about him. And, but, and what kept driving him was the work and the process and what he was doing because he believed in that. Yeah. So it didn't matter what happened to like him almost. It was like he, he just wanted this yeah. thing to happen. So he focused on the work as opposed to his own, you know, his ego, I guess. Right. My only other question, is there anything, before we wrap it up, if there was one resource, one book, one person, one website, one thing that you think everyone should, like, if they're not checking it out, you know, they're really missing out. It could be something stupid. It could be something inspirational. But it could be something uh, educational.
1: Well, now that I have my manager's story on my mind, I wouldn't want anyone to miss out on hearing her story, um, which she's has a million times on YouTube. Um, in different talks, which I could send you a URL to, but um, gosh, that's a a heavy question. And the problem is that I don't really read all that much, (laughs) so I don't have a book or anything, but I do highly recommend this blog called Brain Pickings Mm -hmm. um, that I subscribe to the email list, and they send some really cool, uh, you know, articles where it mixes philosophy and pop culture almost and art and design and all those cool things. Oh, and I also listen to a ton of podcasts. What's your favorite? (laughs) Some of my favorite ones that are currently playing Um, is uh, I love 99% uh, 99 Invisible. You told me about that a while ago. What?
0: I think you told me about that a while ago.
1: Oh yeah, ninety nine percent invisible. Invisibilia has now also come out. Um, do you know about Invisibilia? No. You should check that out too. Um, I love cereal, but that's now over. Um, <laughs> have you seen? Have you listened to cereal?
0: No, I missed out on the craze.
1: Oh, yeah, it was all up on that craze. But um, yeah, I just I love podcasts. It's like the best way to fill up kind of like blank space in your day like if you're driving or working on like a tedious task like instead of music now I'd put on a podcast and learn something new this American life it's a classic um radio (laughs) lab um yeah cool hardcore history (laughs) there's just a ton (laughs)
0: All right. Well, if there are any others, well, I'll, I'll toss them out. So I'll make sure that uh, it's written up on on the web page for the interview, so that people can check it out. Awesome. All of them up. Okay, Allie, um, this was really great. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day uh, to not we're not saving the world, but hopefully we're we're helping it out. Um, this you know your story is really amazing. You have the coolest job of all time. I want it. If I have, my my real answer is if this job doesn't work out, I'm coming for yours.
1: <laughs> uh oh, <I'm> scared. <laughs> um,
0: no, but but really, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to to talking to you soon. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Till next time. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening to this Emma Collective interview with Ali Lieber. I hope you got as much out of it as I did, and I'll see you next time.